Uh, we are going to talk about some laws in the Old Testament tonight as we are continuing through. I think we have about three weeks left in this series. Uh, we'll have uh, uh, the tonight and then we'll have uh, a night on prophecy and his fulfillment of prophecy about a couple. There's a couple of prophecies regarding the lamb uh, and then Jesus in the gospels and in the letters and then the lamb in Revelation. We'll do that. I think the last three of this series. If you're unfamiliar with the Old Testament, some of you may be, some of you may not be. You are not prepared for the amount of bloodshed that we will read about tonight. So many dead lambs. It, it's the number is, is incomprehensible. It really is. As you look through the Old Testament, and we're going to go over most, we're not going to go over all, but we're going to go over most of the laws concerning lambs in the Old Testament. Uh, the main question, of course, is why would we do that? Why would we do that, Chris? First, the blessing of the New Testament, the New Covenant, uh, cannot fully be appreciated without digging into the requirements in the Old Testament. One of the things that tonight really did for me as I was studying for it, is really emphasized in my own mind the blessings of the covenant of Christ and not having to go through all of these things that he, we're going to read about tonight. Second, the general form and principles of these laws still inform our understanding of God's current expectations. We, I briefly mentioned this, I don't know, either, Sunday more, uh, either during the sermon or during class, the idea, of course, that God does not change. He is the same uh, all, at all times of history. And, and so the requirements that he has in the Old Testament for these sacrifices can inform what he expects of us. And then third, this shows us what the writers of the New Testament had in mind when they called Jesus the Lamb of God. Part of that iconography is tied up in these laws that we're going to read tonight. Of course, the readers of the New Testament, the readers of the Gospels, at least the Jewish readers, and of course the Jewish audience in the Gospels, when, Jesus, when John calls Jesus the Lamb of God, they would have known all this stuff. They would have had this in our, their minds already. So we, as we're reading the story 2,000 years later, it might behoove us to familiarize ourselves with what they would have had in their minds when the writers called Jesus the Lamb of God. We'll begin with the general instructions. A couple of verses here. General instructions for lamb sacrifices in the Old Testament. Exodus 29, verse 38. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs, a year old, day by day, regularly. This is not the, first, the only time this is iterated. I just want to think, and I, I should have run the numbers on this, but maybe not running the numbers makes it more weird. Two lambs a day for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. You can just do some quick math there. What are we looking at? Seven, whatever that is, 730. Uh, 730 lambs every year times hundreds of years. I don't know how many hundreds of years. I could do the numbers. Uh, you could sort of run through it. We're looking at tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of lambs just in this law, this one law. We haven't gotten to the other laws yet. One lamb you shall offer in the morning. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight. With the first lamb, a tenth measure of fine flour mingled with fourth of hin of beaten oil, a fourth of a hin of wine for the drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight. Of course, twilight we already saw, right? When was the, uh, the Passover lamb, right? Offered at twilight, uh, killed at twilight, rather, uh, in the story of the Passover. You shall offer with it a grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. It shall be a regular. That word regular is going to come up again. This was just the normal thing, the thing they did all the time. 
burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord. And eventually it would be in the, in the temple, right? The tabernacle and then the temple. There I will meet with the people of Israel and it shall be sanctified by my glory. In Numbers, he gives some more things that go into this. Numbers 15 verse 4. He who brings his offering shall offer to the Lord a grain offering, a tenth of an ephah of a fine flour mixed with a quarter of a hin of oil. You shall offer it with the burnt offering for the sacrifice, a quarter of a hin of wine for the drink offering for each lamb. So now we're in hundreds of thousands of lambs. How much flour and oil and wine going along with this every time? Or for a ram, you shall offer for a grain offering. He talks about the ram stuff here. When you offer a bull, he goes into the bull stuff. Thus it shall be done for each bull or ram or for each lamb or young goat. So the lamb sacrifice, of course, it was lamb. It was the, the killing of the animal. But there's all this other stuff that goes in. And just right off the bat, I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted just thinking about it. Twice a day, for every day, year after year. Well does the Hebrew writer say, right? We think about the continual reminder of sin. Day by day in the, in the temple, in the, in the offering of the sacrifices. Again, these were the regular offerings. We're going to go, I'm not going to read all these because it would take forever. But we're going to go through other times outside the regular offering. These are unusual offerings for, for specific instances. Uh, when God expected lamb sacrifices. Uh, in Leviticus 3, 1 through 5, we have peace and free will offerings. Uh, these were not connected to sin necessarily, but just if you wanted to, uh, the idea of a free will offering is you're just, you're doing it because you love God and you want to offer this to God, the sacrifice, right? There were some, uh, some requirements for lamb sacrifices in that case. Uh, sacrifices for unintentional sin in Leviticus 4. Uh, a lot of these, I'll just say this once and then I'm not going to say it again as we go through the list. A lot of these are iterated more than once. I've put one instance of the command, but of course some of this is repeated in Numbers, some of it's repeated in Deuteronomy. I'm just putting one example of the verses. There are other verses that talk about these things. So unintentional sin. You commit an unintentional sin, and you think about it, oh, I shouldn't have done that, and you, re you realize it later. Of course, if you never realize it, you're not going to offer a lamb, because you wouldn't think to do that. But this is for you remember, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I can't believe it. If somebody brings it up to you or whatever, you're supposed to go offer a lamb. Uh, false witness, touching something unclean, rash oaths. You make an oath, I shouldn't have made that oath. Uh, you, uh, false witness was actually tied in a couple of ways. It was also very specifically, if you had testimony that was valuable to a case and you didn't give the testimony. It's not just lying about testimony, but if you realized I could have contributed to this whatever dispute that was happening and I knew something that could contribute and I just didn't say anything, you were supposed to go offer a lamb. That was the thing that God didn't like. You were supposed to contribute to your civic duty here. That was in Leviticus 5. Uh, pur uh, purification after childbirth. That's not a sin, right? Having a kid. And yet, a lot of purification laws in the Old Testament about different things. So one of the things was after childbirth, there was a period of time of cleansing and purification. And at the end of that, you offered a lamb. Uh, purification after leprosy. Again, not anybody's necessarily sin, just you had leprosy and then there was a time of purification. And then after that, offer a lamb. Uh, feast of first fruits. We're not, again, this is just one of the feasts in, in Israel. Uh, failing or finishing a Nazarite vow. So the Nazarite vow, of course, the most famous example of this is Samson. Uh, and there was instruction. If you made this Nazarite vow and you failed it, you needed to offer a lamb and then start over. Now, if you got to the end of your vow, better offer a lamb. This part of the thing. 
Uh, daily, two lambs. Of course, we read that. And then, these are part of regular offerings again. So two lambs every day, two more on the Sabbath, and then seven more on the first day of each month. And again, just think about, this is just lambs. There was bull offerings and ram offerings and goat offerings. And there are times when you offered birds. The amount of animal sacrifice over hundreds of years in Israel. So much sacrifice. Of course, there's the reiteration of the Passover in Numbers 28. And one of the things that's interesting about the later, the post-exilic books, uh, in 2 Chronicles 30 and 35 and then Ezra 6, these are all after the exile and then the return, they make a special emphasis on the celebration of the Passover and the slaughter of the Passover lamb as sort of that was one of the symbols, one of the signs that they were back to normal after the exiles. Is now we can have the Passover, now we can do this thing. And that's one of the interesting things in those books. So, again... This is not comprehensive. This, I would say most of the lamb laws. There's probably some I missed. But all of the times when a lamb was expected to be offered over and over and over and over and over. And again, for the people of Israel, Jesus arrives. He's called the Lamb of God. This is what they would have been thinking about. It's all of these sacrifices. It's important to understand a couple of qualifications attached to each of these sacrifices. Who was offering the sacrifice? What were they supposed to offer? And where was it supposed to be? Leviticus 3, 1 through 5. If his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offers an animal from the, er the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish for the Lord. And he, this is the person making the sacrifice, not the priest, he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it. So this is outside the regular offering, right? This is the, the regular offering. That was by the priests. But just sort of the, the, the unusual offerings, some of them throughout the year. Whoever came to offer it, they were the one to kill the lamb. And then the priest did some stuff, right? He shall kill it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall th throw the blood against the sides of the altar from the sacrifice of the peace offering. As a food offering to the Lord, he, again, this is the person, shall offer the fat covering the entrails and all the fat on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. Again, we sort of... And it's hard for us to even sort of think about this. The priests were not, this was the guy. Whoever it is that's offering, bringing the lamb, he's doing all this. Now the priests, they're taking it, right? Aaron's sons shall burn it on the altar. They shall throw the blood against the sides of the altar. But the person who's bringing the lamb, they're killing the lamb and they're getting all the stuff out of it. They're doing that. Intimately involved in what's going on here. Of course, then they, they burn all that stuff on top of the burnt offering, which is the wood of, uh, on the wood of the fire. It is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Some more specifics about what was supposed to be. What, what kind of lamb are we talking about here? Leviticus 22, verse 17. When any one of the house of Israel or one of the sojourners in Israel presents a burnt offering as his offering for any of their vows or free will offerings that they offer to the Lord. So this would be like the Nazarite vow or another vow. A lot of different reasons you'd make a vow in Israel. Uh, this is actually why uh, Jesus talks about vows, right? Uh, you, you make a vow, but don't make a vow. Just let your SBS, or maybe this isn't James. So any free will offering, it is to be accepted for you if you, uh, 
If it is to be accepted for you, it shall be a male without blemish, that is, no imperfection in the skin or the, the, the wool or anything, of the bulls or the sheep or the goats. You shall not offer anything that has a blemish. It will not be acceptable for you. You're not offering some lame lamb. Some, well, lame or lame, literally lame, like can't walk or, or has, is blind or, you know, something that's not going to be good for, for uh, uh, either for eating or for or reproduction. Like you're not just giving God the dregs of the, the flock, right? When anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord to fulfill a vow or as a free will offering from the herd or from the flock to be accepted, it must be perfect. There shall be no blemish in it. Animals blind or disabled or mutilated or having a discharge or an itch or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord or give them to the Lord as a food offering on the altar. Now, there were some, ex there were some, uh, some exceptions here for free will offerings. You may present a bull or a lamb that has a part too long or too short for a free will offering, but for a vow offering, it shall not be accepted. Now, not, none of the stuff about, you know, disabled or blind or whatever, but there was sort of this exception that, you know, if you're offering this of free will... It's not really tied to any requirement. Then, you know, it can be, there's a little bit of wiggle room here. But if it's a requirement, if God is requiring the sacrifice, it better be perfect. It's a good animal. And, of course, in their culture, and, and really any culture, not just theirs, what does this mean? It's the most valuable animal, monetarily. Could fetch the most to market. It's going to produce the most, either in reproduction or in food or in wool or in whatever. The sacrifice had to be meaningful for it to be valuable and to be accepted. One of the things I really want to emphasize that we learn, and we're talking about, okay, why are we talking about this? Remember, God has not changed. When we think about our sacrifices to the Lord, it's not going to be a lamb. Again, cannot say enough how thankful I am for that. But when we offer sacrifices to the Lord, he doesn't, he's not obligated to just accept whatever we give him. He's not obligated to just be like, oh, I guess Chris gave me the dregs of his whatever, his time or his effort or his money or whatever. Oh, I should be grateful that Chris gave me anything. That's not how God is. He doesn't have to accept what we give him. He accepts it if it is valuable of the first portion. We even see this way back in Genesis, right? The very beginning, Cain and Abel. Cain offers who knows what, obviously not as much as Abel. Abel offers of the first of the flock. Leviticus 17, 2 through 7. Where was this to happen? If anyone out of the house of Israel kills an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp or kills it outside the camp and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it as a gift to the Lord in front of the tabernacle of the Lord, blood guilt shall be imputed to that man. You can't just offer the sacrifice wherever you want. He has shed blood and that man shall be cut off from among his people. Now, this is not talking about if you're killing a lamb for food. Right? This is, you, you can kill, if you're out in the field and you kill a lamb and you bring it back to your house and you cook it, you're not going to drag it to the temple and then drag it back. This is about killing a lamb for a sacrifice. Uh, this is the end of the people, this is to the end that the people of Israel may bring their sacrifices that they sacrifice in the open field. They may bring them to the Lord, to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and sacrifice them as sacrifices of peace offerings to the Lord. And the priest shall throw the blood on the altar of the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting and burn the fat of pleasing, for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So, and here's the weird thing about this. This is not mentioned, this is it. This is the only time this is mentioned. So shall they no more sacrifice their sacrifices to goat demons after whom they whore. Doesn't come up again. 
other than this, apparently this is a thing that they were in danger of as they went through uh, uh, the Levitical laws here. Uh, and one of the things that they were, what God was intending, I think, here, by intimately connecting the sacrifice to the place, the place in Israel where specifically God dwelled, right, in the, in the Ark of the Covenant, and then later, of course, in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, all these things tied together, was to make sure they realized their sacrifices were to Yahweh, specifically. They couldn't sacrifice to anybody else. And so he made this rule. When you're sacrificing, bring it to the tent. Bring it to the temple. Bring it to where I am so that you're not tempted to start offering these sacrifices to other deities. The only sacrifices you make are to me. Of course, that's from God's perspective, right? To God only. So we think about these requirements. Has to be perfect. Perfect sacrifice. Has to be at the right place, right? Has to be, you have to be involved in it. You're, you're offering the thing, right? You think about the, they, you have to kill the animal. You have to get all the fat and the entrails and all that. Now the priests, they're doing stuff on the altar. They're doing stuff with the altar and the burning and so on. In addition to these, there's one more, perhaps most important of all, requirement. You read all this stuff, and we know... We know how this goes in Israel, because we've read the Bible, some of us. That it very easily became sort of, this is just sort of what we do, and we just do this to do it, and we do it so we're forgiven of our sins, and we do it so that God is, is happy with us. But it doesn't take very long for it to stop being something that they mean, something that comes from the heart, something that was intentional as a thanksgiving or a gratitude or an expression of love, that they just sort of go through the motions. And again, we're thinking about our specific circumstance. It doesn't take long before the sacrifices we offer become just another thing we do and not something that we really mean. We just do it because we've always done it, which is why God says this. In Isaiah, not just here, but in other places. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? What is the place of my rest? Thinking about the temple, right? All these things my hand has made. So all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. He who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck. Your sacrifices are meaningless, is what God is saying. Actually, not just meaningless, they're offensive. They're not just useless, they actively offend God. He who presents a grain offering like one who offers pig's blood. He who makes a memorial offering of frankincense like one who blesses an idol. They have chosen their own ways. Their soul delights in their abominations. And so, uh, I also will choose harsh treatment for them and bring their fears upon them. Because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not listen. They did what was evil in my eyes and chose that in which I did not delight. The reversal here. When I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not listen. That's what the sacrifice was. The sacrifice was calling on God. An appeal to God for favor and blessing. And what is he saying here? I called you. You didn't answer me. When you call on me, why would I answer you? 
the sacrifices that they were making, they're still making the sacrifice, right? They're slaughtering the ox, they're sacrificing the lamb, they're bringing the grain offering, they're making the memorial offering, they're doing these things. What's God saying? You do these things, but I hate them. And he says it in another place, I despise your feasts. Why? Because they did not have a humble and contrite spirit. They did not tremble at his word. They did not care about God. The sacrifices became just another thing we do. Or, even worse, they became hypocrisy. They became self-serving. They became something they did as an effort to trick. They were trying to trick God. Hey, I know we're not doing anything that you want the rest of the time, but here, take the sacrifice and give us good favor. And again, I kind of think we do that sometimes, don't we? We come to church a couple times a week. Maybe we read our Bible once a day. Maybe we pray. Whatever it is that we're doing. And then the rest of the time, I'm just going to do whatever I want. Right? And again, cannot stress this enough. God is not obligated to accept what you give him. He expects a certain level of commitment, a certain level of value in our sacrifices. So when we think about these laws, what should we learn from all this? Why is this important to study? A couple of verses to read here from the New Testament. Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We're presenting ourselves as the sacrifice. Now, we're not dying, because that's not how it works. Except we are kind of dying in our souls, right? We're sacrificing our will. We're sacrificing our desires, our wants. We talked about this in Bible class this morning. We're, we're sacrificing our flesh and our, our human volition in service to God, right? And again, if it's to be holy and acceptable, what does that mean? It means we have to be sacrificing that which has value, that's what, that which matters to us, the best of who we are, we give to God. Hebrews 10, 26 through 27. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. One of the interesting things about these lamb laws is the emphasis on the unintentional sin, the offering for the unintentional sin. And so when the Hebrew writer says this, right, there no longer remains a sacrifice of sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment, a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Again, what is God saying? You can't just do whatever you want and, accept it and expect that I'm going to be okay with that. You can't just do it. You can't just keep living the way you want. When you come to me, you come to me on my terms. When you know what is right, you do what is right. I like the way Isaiah said it, or it was said in Isaiah. You tremble at my word. Tremble has a couple of meanings there, right? We think about what that means. In Hebrews... The idea of trembling is that as in fear. That when we hear the word of the Lord, that is, when we receive the knowledge of the truth, as the Hebrew writer would say, we do it because it's important. So important that we tremble at its value and its importance. You could tremble because you're excited. You could tremble because it's makes you feel valuable and special, which God's word should. But you could also tremble because you're afraid. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful 
expectation of judgment. 1 Timothy 1, 5-6. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions. And again, what's the point here? The sacrifices that we offer to God. Don't just do it because it's all what we've always done. Right? What we're, what we're giving to him. giving, And again, what are the sacrifices that we're offering? Well, in the most foundational sense, it's praise. We're coming to him. We're approaching him at his throne. We're offering him our praise. We're offering him. Of course, we have the sacrifice and the offering that we did earlier today. Well, some of you might do it later today. That's fine. The giving of our money, giving of our, our effort in worship, giving of our attention. But throughout the week, what are we sacrificing? We're sacrificing, again, our will, our desires. We're putting those in, in submission to his will and his desires. We're sacrificing sometimes relationships. We're sometimes sacrificing uh, of time and energy. But whatever it is, that has to come from what? Love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. If you're doing this just because it's what you've always done or you don't want to be cut out of the will or you just think it makes your, you have the, the physical blessings and you do it because maybe people help you with your life and, and you're just here so you can get whatever blessing you can from other people. That's not going to be good enough. It's just not going to be good enough. Hebrews 10, 11 through 18. We'll end with this verse. Every priest, this is again thinking about the Old Testament. Every priest stands daily at his service Offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which he can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet, thinking, of course, in the future. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit bears witness for us, saying... Uh, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And he adds, I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. What is the Hebrew writer saying here? On the one hand, again, can't stress this enough, the one single sacrifice for all time. Because, you think about the perfection, and we'll talk a little bit more about this next week, the requirement that the sacrifice be perfect, no matter what the lamb is, how good, the, it could be the best lamb in the history of mankind, it's still less valuable than a person. Everybody understands that. Could be the most beautiful specimen of, of uh, the species that could ever be, and we understand it still has less value than a person. Jesus' sacrifice is better than all those lamb sacrifices because it goes the other way. It is the more important thing being sacrificed for the less important thing. He is that perfect sacrifice. But the end of that is, the point of that was what? I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. That we would internalize and adopt and absorb his words for us. They should have done that in the Old Testament. And that's why he's so mad at them in Isaiah, right? You did not tremble at my word. You did not listen to me when I called. You did not do what I wanted you to do. 
for us as we think about our situation, the sacrifices that we offer, if they are not accompanied by a genuine, earnest attempt to internalize the truth of what God wants us to do, go home. Doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. Unless we are trying to the best of our abilities to live God's laws in our hearts and minds. The benefit of that, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Talked about it this morning. Doesn't matter what those deeds are. Doesn't matter what sins you have in the past. Whatever, whatever you've done in the past, God is willing to forget it. And I'm so thankful for that. I know my past. I know there's stuff in my past that I, I'm ashamed of that I wish I hadn't done. And I'm so glad that he's not going to remember that because of the sacrifice of Jesus. So we offer the invitation to kneel at the cross. We'll sing in just a minute. To kneel at the cross because of the sacrifice of Jesus, to receive that forgiveness, that, that perfect, beautiful forgiveness that a lamb could never offer. He says that, right? They could never take away the sins by those lamb sacrifices. Our lamb does. If we're willing to wholly bend our will to his. If you're ready to do that, come while we stand and sing.